I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Verse 12. This is, uh, this is one I mentioned, spoke of last week. Um, I, and I, I'll let you know now, I'm probably going to do a, um, this, this particular tonight and another Wednesday, then I'm going to get into, I'm going to just break away from Proverbs a little while and get into some uh, doctrinal preaching, or teaching rather, uh, and then probably come back to it. So um, just so you'll know, it'll be a couple more, and I've only got a couple more chapters really in Proverbs. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. All right? A prudent man. Now, that's King James. I think it's probably amplified behind me. A prudent man sees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished with suffering. With suffering. You may be seated. Okay, now, I, I, I need you to follow me. I don't want anybody here thinking that I am a great pessimist. I am not a great pessimist. But we're going to talk a little bit about pessimism. We're going to speak just a little bit about uh, optimism in certain areas versus pessimism and just understanding. Understanding it's fine to be optimistic on anything that is clear and scriptural. But it's not always wise to be overly optimistic on things that are not clearly scriptural. So we got to be careful. We have to be cautious. And we don't want to get surprised. What could happen that might hurt you? You know, that's the question. What could happen? Optimism in itself sometimes is risky. And we can also say that pessimism might be safe. Now, again, not always pessimism when it comes to the Word of God is the wrong thing to do. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you cannot be pessimistic when it comes to the clear will of God. And you heard what I said, the clear will of God, and see anything happen. So we need to learn wisdom. We need to learn prudence. Prudent men look ahead, and they adjust their lives. Hear me. They don't want to have loss, so they adjust their lives so that they can avoid loss, so they can avoid pain, or they can avoid trouble. Wise men are vigilant to spot changes coming that could cost them. This world is ever-changing. It's always in the process of change. So we have to look ahead. This is where a lot of times we miss the meaning of Scripture. The Bible says to try the spirits to see whether they be of God or not. We have to try certain things to know whether it's right or not. And when uh, I granted you can walk into it, the devil can put all kinds of obstacles in your way. God can allow these obstacles to be placed there to see how, how really how willing you are to push forward. But on the other side of that, sometimes God allows obstacles to say, no, it's time to turn around and go another direction. Now, let's look at that for a minute. How do I know, Eldar, which is of God and which is of the devil? Try the spirits. How do I try? Anybody, I, I, let's put him on the spot. But Hands up. How do I try the spirit? Go ahead. That's one way. Those that are, but but how else? How do I know? Now I'm not talking about. First off, if it's clear, this is what I'm speaking of here is not clear in Scripture. We know it's the will of God to heal. We know God wants to take care of His people. We know that He wants to deliver us. But we've got we got a situation here which is not the clear scriptural, and we think this is what. God wants us to do. So we're walking in the direction that we think God wants us to walk in. And all of a sudden, I start hitting one obstacle after the other. Now, is that of God or is that of the devil? How do I know? Go ahead. Right. So, if, 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 if
If it's consistent obstacles we have to overcome, but then on the other side of that, on the other side of that, what if God is saying no? Are they the same obstacles or the same things that I have to deal with? Or do I just naturally have that inclination, well, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting there, so it must be of God. He's allowing this to happen to me to see if I'm serious or not. Buddy? God allows the devil to do what the devil does. Right. Okay. You had your hand up. And there's the key. There's the key. That's where you try. Sometimes in trying the, uh, trying the spirits, trying the spirits, we have to try our spirit. It's not just a matter of trying, uh, is this of the devil, is this of God, but what's my motive behind this? You, th- that's how you tell. That, that's being you know, where the Bible says to examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith or not. We have to examine to see what is my motive in this. I've seen so many people, and if you've been around any length of time, you've seen people who have such a desire to be something or do something in the kingdom, and they go off uh, how I consider half-cocked. And they go off and they, don't, they, they run into one thing, one bit of suffering after the other, after the other, because they did not really try the spirits to see whether they were. There is a time when you just simply say, okay, God, this, this is happening to me. Is this your will or not? And, and just allow God to speak to your spirit and be aware that you can be as stubborn as a mule. Okay, that, that's what you, uh, that, that's, this, this is where I, I'm saying that sometimes, uh, sometimes a wise man are cautious. Sometimes a wise man can be critical. Sometimes a wise man can be a bit pessimistic and skeptical about unproven assertions or situations. That's the key words. They do not believe all they hear. And my wife will tell you, she tells me this all the time, don't believe everything you read. You pick up the paper and you read half of it, you don't believe. You listen to the news, half of it you don't believe. You try to figure out what the weather is, half of it you don't need to believe. We were supposed to have a snowstorm this past Tuesday. That was yesterday, wasn't it? I mean, I heard everything. You know, I said, we're going to have another foot and a half of snow. And you know they're listening to Duluth, Minnesota. So, yeah... <laughs> You got to be careful of what you hear, what you, and, and so sometimes when something is not clear, be careful of what you listen to. Be careful. They and, and a wise man, they, they do not make decisions without carefully analyzing possible dangers. Only really foolish people naively view the future and rush forward optimistically and they get punished for it. There again, being optimist when you know that it's clear in the Word of God that we know for a fact that's what God wants us to do. Be optimistic. When it comes to me praying for healing, be optimistic. When it comes to me saying, God, you're going to take care of my financial needs that I didn't get myself into the mess, I can be optimistic on that. But if I've got myself into this mess, then I'm not even going to be too optimistic on that. Because I do know you reap what you sow. So many people go about blindly thinking they can go ahead and sow whatever they want to sow, and they'll never reap for it, and that's a lie. Somewhere along the line, you're going to reap for this. So we have to be cautious in those areas. A prudent man, or actually prudence, let me, let me, let me phrase it correctly, is the power of discernment. It is the discretion or practical wisdom to detect problems or dangers in any situation. Avoid them by altering. And this is how you avoid them. You alter your actions to find the most profitable course. Obviously, a prudent man move more slowly than foolish men because they know that, uh, that, that hasty or heady decisions are, are risky decisions. So this, this rule for wise living is so important that Solomon actually repeated this in Proverbs 22, verse 3. He said it twice. 
So to, to not be overly hasty, a prudent man, one with, with cautious discretion, looks ahead and he sees fallacies or he sees risk. He hides himself from the danger by altering. Now, when I say this, I'm not talking about altering my belief in doctrine or in the Scripture, but there are certain things that, and again, if you've been around any length of time, I made this statement last Wednesday, that you get, you get people who come in with all kinds of different uh, ideas and revelations of the Scripture, and uh, they, they don't fit. Yeah, they, they might fit in one little area there that may be talking about something completely different. And so this person pulls a scripture out and they try to make it fit some little pet doctrine they have. But a wise man checks it by all the scripture because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Not just one or two. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. We get into for correction and instruction in righteousness. Do you realize the Bible by the most part tells us what we're doing wrong and wants to instruct us on how to be right with it. Now, so this 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 wise man, they begin to to change, or they will, if you would, they will they will alter uh, their alter his beliefs or his actions, and he will never be caught believing lies or walking into a trap. On the other hand, we'll call these people simpletons. That's a good term. Simpletons will blithely uh, let life happen to them. They, they do not question what they believe or what they are doing. They keep going forward and getting clobbered repeatedly by dangers and risks that they overlook. They constantly are being hit with something. Of course, you know, your, your foolish spirit, all of us, wants to do what it, it wants to do, and it wants to do it now. Foolish, foolish companions and peer pressure further encourage this, this kind of insane approach to life. It is prudence, a component of wisdom that slows men down to consider what they are doing. Only wise men look at every angle in a complete circle, circumspection before making decisions. Fools rush ahead in blind zeal and ignorant confidence, again, into areas they need not do it. I'll go back to it. This is why that you look at every situation. I do not expect bad things to happen, but I know it's possible that they can. So I look at every situation, and you should look at every situation that could possibly come up and be sure that you're doing the right thing. Yes, I may still get in trouble, but my trouble may not be as deep as what it would have been had I not checked everything out ahead of time wise men will always do this you know look at this some people get laid off with savings a transferable skill another job waiting others lose their jobs have no financial cushion are untrained and hurt their families and do not know what to do some manage the the number and timing of their children everybody listen to me to be excellent parents, you manage timing of having children so you can be excellent parents. You manage timing to have children to be excellent parents. You manage timing. Someone's going to hit me on the back. I'm stuck. <clears throat> to be excellent parents. Okay? Did you get that? Others reproduce like rabbits. Okay? Not considering the cost, the effort, the time, or the wisdom to get all of these 555 kids to adulthood with Christian character, productive careers, and godly spouses. That's the best preaching you're going to hear. I might as well just fold it up and go now. You are responsible for your children marrying good people. And you go, I know what you're thinking. I can't handle them. It's because you didn't start beating them until they were three years old. You started beating them when they're one year old or two years old just to get their attention, right? And then they'll listen to you. No, you start being a parent when you're, they're two years old. My wife, she helped me with that one. She told me that that's how you do it. You start being when they're two years old. And you're a parent from then all the way through. Until they lay you in a casket or the rapture of the church takes place. That's good preaching. He said, you really beat that into the ground, Brother Robertson. It's because it needs to be beaten into the ground. Because we all need to be reminded all the time of how important it is. 
Wise men will not believe anything or do anything until they prove God's truth or will in the matter. Look at this. The Bereans were commended for testing even Paul's preaching. And the Thessalonians were commanded to do it. Look at Acts 17, verse 11. Acts 17, verse 11. Now these Jews were better disposed and more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they were entirely ready and accepted and welcomed a message concerning the attainment through Christ of eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. With inclination of mind and eagerness, searching and examining the Scriptures daily to see... If these things were so, I, I, I know I have, that's another one I've beaten into the ground. My God in heaven, would you please feel welcome to check everything that I preach. Do not be one of those people who just sit back there and take the preachers, just because he says it, he, they take it as the truth. Not all preachers preach the truth. You be sure the preacher is preaching the truth. You have a responsibility to check and see whether these things be so or not. Give him a good hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. It is foolish people that believe the evening news. It's foolish people that believe child, uh, child care specialists. All they can give you is hallucinations. And it's foolish people who talk about or believe testimonials of, of how this, this, this Ronco pocket fisherman works better than anything else. From the you don't know what a Ronco pocket fisherman is. You do, don't you? <laughs> It used to be on television when I was much younger. The Ronco Pocket Fisherman or the Ronco Vegematic. I can still remember that. I mean, that, that, that's testimony. You got people testimony, or you can get uh, some kind of Japanese knife. You know, they're going through, whoop, 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 you know, it never gets dull. I think I bought one of those off your wife one time. I think I did. And it, it dulled about two days. In fact, I'm going to make her take that back, I think. <laughs> So, 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 you know, it, it, it's, you don't believe all this stuff. If you do, you're going to wind up buying every piece of junk that comes around. And not only that, you don't believe everybody that calls himself a reverend or a doctor. Let's just go a little bit further with it. If it is not a matter of religion or morality, they practice the wisdom of Solomon's proverb. They seek safety in the multitude of counselors. This is what people do. This is what wise men do. And they hide like the coney from, from risk, according to Proverbs 30, verse 26. They do not trust their own opinions, Proverbs 26, 12. They could not care less when everyone else is doing or what they're doing, Exodus 23, 2. They do not believe anything without strong and tested evidence, Proverbs 14, verse 15. So the best way to become a prudent or become prudent is to learn the Bible. That's the best way. Psalm 19, verse 7 actually tells you this. Several other verses of Scripture also uh, confirm this. In fact, let's just turn to uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Every scripture is God-breathed, given by his inspiration. I, I started to quote this earlier. And profitable for instruction, for reproof and conviction of sin, for correction of error, discipline and obedience, and for training in righteousness and holy living and conformity to God's will in thought, purpose, and action, so that the man of God may be complete and proficient, well-fitted, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That really says it well. Uh, and let's just take this back. This is the Amplified Version. Don't be foolish enough to believe every version of the Bible. You better check it with the King James, the only authorized version of the Bible. That doesn't get preached enough anymore, and we've got all kinds of crazy things going on out there. That We need to understand that. The Reader's Digest version doesn't cut it. All right. It can, again, the Bible contains the truth of God and His will for successful living. The book of Proverbs is Solomon's inspired rules for a prosperous life. And without God's truth and precepts, you will be vulnerable to the folly of, of feelings and vain ideas of men. And without instruction from God's ministers, you'll be tossed to and fro by crafty deceivers. So it even lets you know there. Look at Ephesians 4.14. Ephesians 4.14. So then we may no longer be children tossed like ships to and fro between chance gusts of teaching and wavering with every changing wind of doctrine. The prey of the cunning and the cleverness of unscrupulous men, gamblers engaged in every shifting form of trickery and inventing errors to mislead. The world is full of that kind of person. 
absolutely full of those kind of people. You need to be in a Bible, and I, you're, you're going to stay here as long as I'm here. You're going to be in a Bible-preaching church to be able to fully grow in wisdom. You have got to know the Scripture. That is why this kind of teaching is so valuable. I love good preaching. I love to preach. But the preaching touches the emotions. But Bible teachings not only touches the heart, but it touches the mind as well. And you need to understand this. It's vital to, have, uh, to, to know what the Scripture teaches. So are you prudent to save some of all income so then future financial difficulties can be avoided? Proverbs 30.25 asks that. Do you insure major assets against catastrophic loss so you cannot be wiped out? Proverbs 22.26 says this. Are you very cautious about marriage? either your own or your children's, to prudently avoid the odious woman, according to Proverbs 30.21 or 31.30. Have you looked ahead to see if your job, profession, or business will be needed in the future? Proverbs 27.23. Have you trained your children to avoid ruining your, uh, avoid them ruining your future? Proverbs 29.15. Believe me, children can ruin your future as well if you don't train them the correct way as they're growing up. Have you acquired... A transferable skill, or are you unskilled and subject to layoffs? Do you invest in high-yield opportunities, or do you question deals that sound too good to be true? Have you been reading some new version of the Bible, as I said that earlier, without examining its origin, text, and its fruit? Do you prove everything you hear at church, or do you assume it to be right? Have you vigorously examined the training of your children to maximize its potential? Do you treat your spouse God's way, building a lasting marriage? Now, that's a lot right there, a great deal. But it's something that is vital. And let me, let me, let me go back to something for some of you. I realize that in, in the day that we're living in, with the economy being the way that the economy is, that sometimes it's difficult to go, and to, to go to school to get some kind of skill that you need. I am, I am a strong believer in this, and I, I made this statement, but I'm a believer in this. If you do your very best, I still believe that God will bless you, even if you don't have a skill. If you know and you're trying to take care of your children, you're doing everything right at church, God will always provide you some kind of income. I believe that with all of my heart, and I know God will honor that because we're trying our best. I may not necessarily have that transferable skill, but I believe this. I believe that if I I'm given to the church, if I'm taking care of my family, and I pray and I seek God for direction, that God will give me the job that I need and the money that I need. Give Him a good hand clap of praise. <clears throat> the greatest future danger you face, face is the judgment throne of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says at that time he'll examine everything that you have done in life. Several scriptures. I won't go into all those uh, to prove it. So it is time, I, I believe now more than ever before. I've heard it preached several times and for years. Preachers get up here and they say, it's time for us to do this. It's time for us to change it. You've been hearing it for 25, 26, 27 years or longer, 50 years. You've been hearing it, so, so what? But you understand something. 50 years in God's time clock is not very long. It's not even the blink of an eye. And it definitely is time for us to look very thoroughly into uh, our relationship with God and to wake up from sleeping and begin to live a holy life and to, and to hide from that day, if you would, according to Romans thirteen eleven. How do you hide from it? You hide from it by living for God. I'm not worried about the judgment of God because I plan on being in heaven before the judgment seat of Christ. If I'm at the judgment seat of Christ, then I'm already made it to heaven, and He's just going to reward me according to what? I've done and I want to do the best that I possibly can in this last day in order for him not only to say well done my good and faithful servant but to get an award in heaven what's wrong with that God help us to to look hard at, at where we are and how we're living and to realize that we certainly are living at the last day Proverbs 27:17. I'm going to read it from back here. 27:17. Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. To show rage or worthy purpose. Very good. To show rage. So according to this, if you've got a friend that's always mad all the time, that you're going to be a raging piece of iron. Or you can be worthy. It's according to what's friendship. And that's, that pretty much says it well, doesn't it? 
You've got to have good friends. In order to be, to have good friends, you need to be a good friend. Iron can sharpen iron. A good friend can sharpen a friend. The iron of a file can make a blade sharp. A good friend can make his friend better. And are you a good friend? And do you have good friends? Are you a good friend? And do you have good friends? Knife is not sharpened by cloth, bread, wood, plastic, or even gold. A knife may cut and shape these things uh, for them to be more useful, but these things will only dull the knife. Sharpening a knife requires iron or a substitute for iron at least as hard as the knife. Once sharpened, a knife is much more productive with less effort uh, on, such, on such things. So it's, it's, it's a whole lot better. Uh, look at Ecclesiastes 10, verse 10. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 10. If the axe is dull and the man does not wet the edge, he must put forth more strength, but wisdom helps him to succeed. So what's wisdom telling you there? It's telling you you need to sharpen your axe. If you're working too hard, there's something wrong with your tools. And that's exactly what it's saying. Now, this proverb is about noble friends, and they will make you better. A good friend will make you brighter, sharper, and more useful. But not any friend will do. Only wise friends make you wiser. So good men love other good men. Foolish friends will dull and corrupt your life. So you don't want to be around too many of these, uh, these foolish, foolish people. That that's, would be a mistake. A big mistake. So good men, again, they love other good men, uh, and, and the foolish friends will dull and corrupt. And if a man is good enough to, to be your father's friend, this is interesting. If a man is good enough to be your father's friend, it is your wisdom to keep him as your friend, according to Proverbs 27, verse 10. So if, if, if someone is good enough to be your father's friend, they should be good enough to be your friend. Now that is taking into consideration your father was a good father. Because a good father will not have friends that will affect his family or his children in a negative way. So, a good father, a good father will have good friends and thus passing on that friendship to their children. The Bible says that two are better than one. And Solomon taught this in his, in his great book of philosophy because they sharpen and improve each other in at least four different ways. Let's look at the Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good and more satisfying reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up again. If two lie down together, then they have warmth. But how can one be warm alone? And though a man might prevail against him who is alone, two will stand him and a threefold cold excuse me, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You get that. That is that that that's of course we use that a great deal when it comes to weddings, knowing that the Lord should be the third strand of the cord because it's not easily broken. But uh, keeping that also in mind with good friends and people that are in your life that can help you to improve yourself and be better. They can share successes, successes of labor together, help each other up when they fall, combine complementary abilities uh, for greater accomplishments, and defend against mutual enemies. A good friend is a great blessing. The solitary life is foolish and sacrifices these great advantages and we don't want to lose some of these these great advantages we need we need good friends a uh, the noun countenance here may mean a person's face and appearance according to proverbs 25:23 and also daniel 1:13 matthew 6 it may mean the expression of feeling toward another person when it talks about sharpening the countenance of a friend and it may mean that spirit uh, the spirit, demeanor, behavior, or conduct of a man. What is the spirit, demeanor, behavior, and conduct of a man? It is his character. So everything that I've just said comes down to one word. A good friend will sharpen your character. I need someone to help me have better character. Uh, we talked about this last Wednesday. Sometimes friends have to rebuke friends. 
Sometimes we need someone to tell us what we're doing wrong so that we can do better, so that we can improve. Uh, I, I, we, we get this a lot of times within our spouses, with a husband or wife. They can help you to improve when you've, you've made some errors or when you're making an error. Also, when it comes to, uh, to someone who's close to you, I hope that all of us have the ability to take a little bit of constructive criticism. I know that it upsets me when I get it. I don't like it, but I try to swallow real hard and look at myself and say, hey, I, I need this. Even if I don't like it, and maybe I can look at you and say, what have you got a right to tell me anything? I know all, the, all those little things you keep hidden. But the fact remains that if I can take it, if that person sees it, I can be better if I can change the problem, rectify the problem. So God help us to have good friends that will help us. So this proverb deals with the character of a man. A very precious thing in, in, in indeed. Character is by far the most important measure of a man or a woman. Limiting countenance to improve, uh, to improve a man's facial expressions mocks Solomon's wisdom. It's not a matter of facial expressions. That's not what he's talking about, iron sharpening the countenance of a friend. He's not talking about our expressions. He's talking about our character. And a file does not merely make a knife look better. It makes it better. So limiting countenance to show feelings makes little sense for friends already express approval of each other. Loners never amount to very much, for they cannot grow. A knife cannot sharpen itself. They become dull and rusty with ignorance, poor habits, and depressed spirits. Loners are always the weakest member of any group, for they continue to rust and decay without the sharpening steel of noble friends. The Proverbs' wisdom cannot be in any way overthrown. Loners waste life. Their lives are a waste. They never sharpen anyone. The few at their funerals are only out of duty. They feel no real loss because the loner in the coffin never did anything to improve their lives when he or she was alive. This is a wasted life. It's a direct violation of God's command to love others. Let loners spend more time with good men, and they could be, they could be sharpened into useful men. But lazy habits of self-indulgence are hard to break. Selfishness, laziness, and pride keep a man from seeking friends. He's happy rusting by himself. Foolishness, ignorance, and bad habits hinder a man from keeping friends, for he drives them away. Look at some of, some of this. Successful athletic training requires competition and or training with those better than you. Otherwise, your skills are never tested. You never learn the best techniques. Your, your maximum effort is not called into action, and you deceive yourself regarding your ability. Being a loner and limiting your friends is like preparing for uh, Wimbledon by playing tennis on a computer. You know, that would be the same thing. You have to have someone to sharpen you. And such a, such a choice as this is you're, you're guaranteed to fail. God declared in Eden that mankind is social. A wife and, and children provide valuable society, but they're not enough. Rarely do wives sharpen a man like another good man. I, I've got the one exception. My wife sharpens me greatly. You know. She hits me when I think her back of the head smacks me. She said, wake up. I didn't hit him. No, I, I was afraid to. He's rushing. He might get mad at me. <laughs> Poor Weldar. You know, it's a miracle that he loves us the way he does, as much grief as we give him. But you, you do have to have someone. And a lot of times it's good, it's good to have another man to, to help sharpen you. Uh, it just, it's just um, it's, it's right because there are some areas, especially when it, we can look into ministry. Not, not just anybody, even in, in another male, can help sharpen a, an evangelist or a pastor. You need someone else who understands what you're going through to be able to properly uh, help you to sharpen and, and to do better. So it's a good man is what you need because, you know, you try to sharpen iron with a weaker metal and it doesn't always come out as well. Women may be sharpened by men and in turn sharpen one another, but very seldom do they provide the, the collision of, of equal or superior metals that result in the bright, shining, sharp edge on a man. Very seldom. Very seldom does that happen. David described the love of Jonathan as exceeding that of women, though married at the time to the very wise Abigail. Jonathan sharpened David by strengthening his hand in the Lord with spiritual provoking. You know, that, that, that always irritates me because there are certain groups out there that take 
that particular scripture and say that Jonathan and David were homosexuals. Because it said it exceeded the love of a woman that had nothing to do with sexuality. That had everything to do with Jonathan was a warrior, just like David was a warrior. He understood what David was going through. He was a, he was a son of a king. He understood. And he sharpened him as a result of it. And they were close. And, and thank God that there can be that. And it's too bad anymore that we've got, we've got such a, a society that two men can't be good friends without being accused of being homosexual. And that's good preaching whether you like it or not. These two great friends together, sharpening each other, form one powerful team to God's glory. Job was this kind of sharpening influence among his companions. In Job 4, the brethren from Rome sharpened even the great apostle Paul in Acts 28. For there is mutual comfort in believing brethren. Paul loved Timothy for this effect in 2 Timothy 1.3. And he was always thankful for the fellowship of the saints at Philippi in Philippians 1 and 3. And our Lord sent teachers out two by two in Luke 10 and 1 and Acts 13 to do. Why? Because one could pick up the other. One kept the other sharp. That's why that it's always good when you go out door knocking or anything to go out two by two. You help strengthen one another as a result of that. You don't feel alone. You don't feel that way at all. So for this reason... For this reason, uh, Jesus Christ ordained churches of saints where they can help support, exhort, warn, and rebuke each other to their mutual profit. Church members are to bear one another's burdens and to convert one another from errors, according to Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Let's look at that. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if any person is overtaken in misconduct or sin of any sort, you who are spiritual, who are responsive to and controlled by the Spirit, should set him right and restore and reinstate him. Do you see that? It didn't say kick him. It did not say beat him. It didn't say throw him out. It said to, to if you are, are controlled by the Spirit, that you need to comfort him and to restore him and reinstate him without any sense of superiority and with all gentleness keeping an attentive eye on yourself lest you should be tempted also bear endure carry one another's burdens and troublesome moral faults and in this way fulfill and observe perfectly the law of christ the messiah and complete what is lacking in your obedience to it that completes what you're lacking in other words what that is saying when you're trying to help someone else get back you're seeing what you need to do to get back. Uh, this is the sharpening purpose of the church. It is for this reason that Paul warned about those forsaking assembling yourselves together in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. He said, you cannot forsake the assembling yourselves together. Why? Because I need to be sharpened by you. I need to sharpen you. You need to sharpen me. That's why we need to be together. That's the best thing. We can talk about we need to get together for worship. Yes, we need to get together for the word. Yes, but what is all of that? What does all that mean? That means I'm being sharpened. I'm being made better as a result. I can I, Honestly, I, I, I'm not telling you to sit and watch other people worship, but at times when I sit and watch other people worship, I can get into the blessing of what they're getting into because they're helping me to, to get where I need to be. I know that they're pushing through and trying to get through a whole myriad of problems and difficulties in their own life, and that lets me know that I need to push through as well. If he can push through, I can push through. If I can push through, you can push through. That's what sharpens one another. I need someone else to show me that I can make it. I need someone else to show me that I can get above this. First church under the Holy Spirit's powerful influence showed great zeal toward their fellowship and society of saints in Luke 2.42. And look at the close relationship of the members and be convicted to make greater efforts to this goal yourself. It, it, it is our church like this church and perfecting one another. And if it's not, then why not? And if not, what are you going to do to make it better? That's how we need to think. There are two direct and important lessons here. You need noble and godly friends to maximize your growth. And you need to be such a friend to others to maximize their growth. 
rather than worry why others do not do more for you or why they do what they do towards you. Choose instead to be sharpening influence in the lives of others and to charitably look for the best intentions and the desired effect of what they do to you. Look at that. Do you get what that just said? Brother Horton is just working me over one way or the other, and instead of being mad at him, I need to look at what he's doing to me, how it's helping me. You get that. Instead of being angry about it, what good, what value is it? I need, and there's times I, I don't like it any more than anybody else does. I've had that happen. I've had, I've had situations occur when I said, why in the world does this have to occur? It's so hard for me to look at, okay, now how, <laughs> you know, you, how's this helping me? But boy, that, a few, Days down the road, a few weeks down the road, I can look back at that situation and I can see that it made me better. It improved my patience. It might even improve the church. Maybe I was a better preacher as a result of it. I, I don't know. Sometimes you don't always find that immediately, but I do know. And someone already mentioned it. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. So I need to look for that. If the proverb is true, there are implied lessons you should not overlook. If good friends improve a person's character, a wise husband will help his wife have time with good friends to be a better wife. This is nourishing his wife. A wise wife will do the same, knowing her husband will be better for being with good men. And parents will be proactive, promote friendships for their children with other wives and, 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 and just good children. A file takes small shavings from the knife blade to make it better. So true friends will sometimes correct, instruct, rebuke, or warn you. And are you willing to take their criticisms to be better? David said he counted it a kindness when the righteous would hit him in Psalm 141.5. And as beautiful and wise Abigail did when he was, he was too angry in 1 Samuel 25.21, Solomon declared the wounds of a friend better than the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27, I talked about that a couple weeks ago. So do you diligently fulfill your role to improve others' lives? Are you a sharpening influence to make them more useful and productive? Do you value and promote relationships with other good men for your own perfection? Even, even if their corrections and exhortations at times might hurt or sting, you still need it above everything else. Questions or comments? About this, do you think that uh, iron sharpening iron does it go too far? That's a, that was a loaded question, wasn't it? For you, said, "Well, I just don't agree with that." Well, okay, then you're disagreeing with the Word of God, so it's not my fault. But do you have any comment on that? Anybody? Go ahead. What's that? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, that's what prayer closet time is. You know, there, there's times that we need to be isolated from it. I think we can, we can overdo. And I need that. That you don't stay in that isolation? The very thing that you just, because you, because you know that you're, you're there and you know it could be a problem, by asking that question can make you know that, the, you know, there's periods of time when you are too... You're too isolated. And let me tell you, it's real easy. It's real easy when you're dealing with people. Even though they are godly people, they're still people. And regardless of who you are, you still, uh, you know, you can, we can get on one another's nerves. And there's times, sometimes, when you just need to be away from that for a season. But also, you need that person. And you need to be around people. Uh, and not just completely isolate yourself uh, totally. I've seen that happen, what you're saying. I've actually seen it here happen with people, and, and inevitably that person winds up backsliding. When they start isolating themselves, you start seeing them the way they don't sit with people. They sit with themselves. Uh, they sit away. Then before long, I tell you, I mean, that baby are going to get into it here in a minute. Look at that. <laughs> Loves my preaching. Just hallelujahs all the time. <laughs> But, you know, they will, because you cannot, you, no man, Paul said it, no man liveth to himself, nor does any man dieth unto himself. There's a book written about no man is an island based on that, that particular thing. Uh, so, yeah, we, you know, you, I, I think we need times and seasons. 
but we can't be of any value when we go up on the mountain and set, and set you know, we, we can't do that. We need people. And when you're around people, you're going to be hurt. And one of, the, one of the things I think that we none of us really do enough of, and I don't like it, and I'll be the first one to say this, is making ourselves vulnerable. You know, we don't like making ourselves vulnerable. And when you deal with people, you make yourself vulnerable. You're going to get hurt. You're going to walk away sometimes, and, and you're going to have to bite your tongue and bite your lower lip and bite, you know, just, just, just walk away hoping that you don't say the wrong thing. But we do, when it comes right down to it, if we can look at everything as a growing, everything that's going to help me. And if everybody could take into consideration what Jesus said, and one of the best things, the golden rule, as you would that men do unto you, do unto them likewise. So one thing's for sure, don't, don't be trying to sharpen him if you're not willing to be sharpened. Because it, it always comes back. But yes, I, I, you know, don't, don't isolate yourself to the point where you're never, but there is seasons of it. There is seasons, and I understand that. Anybody else? Yes. You're saying that. They want to they wanna be able to lord it over somebody. Yeah, to make themselves feel, feel good. Mm-hmm. I really do try to find people in my life, friends and stuff, and gather them in that are better than me. And sometimes they're younger than me. Yeah. Sometimes uh-huh. it's really embarrassing that they take a certain things in that they make me better. That's right. You you help. It's right. It, it, it's finding. It's finding. And if you can find someone of equal, uh, if you know weak, equal metal, then you're gonna you know whatever you say and do. And, and I've had some really good people through the years that that have helped me. And and younger, I've had younger. I've had some older that uh, you have discussions with, and and it's just really you know really helped to to you know to make you a better person. Anybody else? That clears mud. Go ahead. I knew you had something. I was just waiting. Mm-hmm. On isolation. Isolation. You know, the Bible talks about. In fact, Jesus said that there's times and seasons we go into our prayer closet. Okay, that means you can just talk to God alone. That's being by yourself. That can be an isolation. Uh, but if we spend too much time alone, then we wind up hurting ourselves. And, you know, there's seasons for everything. It's where Solomon said, for everything there's a season, a uh, purpose under heaven. Um, and, and I believe that I think it's good to have time to yourself. Uh, there are some people that can't stand to be by themselves. Absolutely, they 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 try. Uh, you know, they 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 need to be in a prayer closet somewhere, just between them and God, and God can help them. But they have to have someone around constantly. Some of you, some of you out there, and you know, some people don't don't even like to take a vacation by themselves. My best friend is my wife. After forty-two years, now we no, it's been longer than that. Forty-three, we've known each other. Forty-three years. She better be my best friend. And, and, and you know, I, I made a statement, you need good men to sharpen you. At this point in my life, I'd be completely content with her, her alone. You know, I'm content with that. Um, you know, when I, was, when I was a little younger, I needed people. I needed people to sharpen. And I'm not saying I don't need that now. I, please don't take that. I, I do. But on the, but the other side of it, at my point, my contentment is, is with her. And I think there comes a time you have to grow into that, especially if it's a good relationship. And if you don't have that kind of relationship, then you don't have a good marriage. And you need, you need some counseling. Jake will counsel you any time that you need it. Okay? <laughs> Anybody else? 
You might want to make any comments on this. No comments. Wait a minute. Who am I? Oh, over here? Everybody's got personalities like this. Sometimes we, sometimes we have to force ourselves to be with people. Sometimes we have to force ourselves to be alone. Personality, no. But just being aware of it, that, that, that's the key. If you're aware of what, what kind of personality you have, what you like, and, and know that sometimes I have to make myself, then you're fine. You're fine that way. Okay? I answered. Okay. Anybody else? Oh, come on. I couldn't have been that good, could I? I'm in a notion to do some debating. You want to debate? <laughs> okay. How about up here? Anybody? All right. Everybody's tired. Say, come on, Brother Robertson, will you quit? I need to go home. I've got to eat. I'm hungry. Got to go to McDonald's before it closes. That's nasty stuff. Stand with me. We can always be better. Always. I can be a better person. I can be a better preacher. I can be a better father. I can be a better husband. I can be any of that. And any time that you can get around in any of, any of these areas, and you can get around someone that can help you, don't be afraid, especially younger people. Don't be afraid to ask older people questions. You know, I... That, that's where the Bible speaks about the elders helping the younger. The elder women helping, uh, helping the younger women. Uh, and there's a reason for that. Because if an older woman has had been married to a man for all these years, she's got to have something going for her. You know, and, and here you are, a young woman getting married, and you didn't have a clue because that guy you're marrying is going to be completely different after you marry him. Because he can fake it for a year or so. And so now you all of a sudden he's the king and he's the lord over over you and over everything else and you've got to deal with that. So you need to ask an older woman how to deal with it. And for you guys, you know it's the same way. This woman she faked it for all these this time you were together. And now when she gets up in the morning she's got bad breath. You know, and and you can't believe that that a woman could have bad breath. You know, it's, it's just not the way things happen. And she's got her hair in curlers, and it almost knocks you out. First time you see her, it almost knocks you down. You, you, can't, you can't believe it. So you need someone to help you to understand that's just normal. Okay? Now, did that help you? I hope that helped. <laughs> it never happened. <laughs> All right. Let's raise our hands to the Lord together right now. Father, we thank you for your blessings, your goodness, your mercy. We pray that you would touch and bless and be with each and every one. Comfort and, and, and God, just, just touch them in each and every way. Keep them as they, as they go home, as they travel. God, bless them in their finances. Bless them in their health. Bless them in their marriages, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you.